Hi, everybody, and welcome to another exciting adventure in podcasting. On this episode, I am delighted to be talking with someone whose microphone setup, uh, equipment, and space tells me they've probably done podcasting before uh, and promotional videos and things of that nature, and that is author Anthony Johnston. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Now, I say I put a little bit of an H in there, an H sound, Anthony. So did that sound good? Because I know you technically don't have an H. It's very American. I'm used to it from uh, all my American friends. None of them can pronounce my name properly. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. We'll go with Anthony then. Anthony, if that's better. Okay. All right. Um, so at the top of the episode, I usually like to ask about what draws people into the medium that they're working in. Uh, in your case, you have a nonfiction book that uh, you were just pointing at behind you. You have comics, graphic novel work, and you also have thrillers and mysteries in prose. And so we have a variety of places we can go with that sort of question. Of, and video games too, don't forget. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, so curious about, I guess the question is, what draws you to authoring? What initially connected you to the written word and to sharing in that way? I think I, I've always read. Uh, and one of my earliest memories of be is of being read to. Like, I remember when I was four years old, sitting on my father's lap as he read uh, a children, a British children's comic called The Beano to me. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very clear and distinct memory that I have. And like I say, I was four years old. I couldn't yet read myself, but it didn't take long. You know, as soon as I started uh, primary school, what you would call elementary school, um, I, I learned to read very quickly because I wanted to. I was... I've, I've always loved stories. I've always loved being told stories and telling stories. And so realizing that, you know, writing was a reading was a way of doing that and writing was a way of, you know, making my own stories. Um, I, I'd learned that very, very quickly indeed. So it's, and that's a very prosaic answer, I know, but I really do think that it's, that that's important because the, the earlier you learn to read, you know, the more reading becomes a habit throughout your whole life and something that just never the enjoyment of which never really leaves you you know stays with you throughout your whole life it certainly has for me and every other writer I know really has a similar story but I've always as I say I've always also loved telling stories um I don't know I, and that's something I cannot explain but it's something that I learned very early that it's just something I enjoy doing I'm fairly good at it I get a thrill from doing it I enjoy watching an audience's reaction as I tell a story um, yeah, I've just kind of, I've lived my life in, you know, surrounded by and immersed in fictional stories and then regurgitating my own, as it were. <laughs> you, you said a prosaic answer, but I, I totally love the, the story of, you know, reading with someone in your family and how that inspires you. And, um, that's a, a big part of what I'm interested in in literacy is, you know, what, what inspires people to write, create, what draws us and, there, so often there's someone in a family circle or friend circle that, that does that, that kind of passes my, it along. My parents always encouraged me to read. Uh, you know, I'm from a, a very working class, blue collar background. My parents were not uh, sort of high achievers academically or anything. Um, and so they really encouraged me to read from a very early age. They they And they didn't um, try to guide my reading in any way whatever i wanted to read whatever i was happy reading they were happy for me to read it uh 
and like I say, that you're absolutely right. That was so important. I um uh, I support a charity here in the UK called Book Trust, uh, and what they do is they supply books to children from disadvantaged families. Um, and one of the initiatives that they uh, support and that they sort of put into action themselves is encouraging parents in those families to yeah. read the books with their children and to their children to instill that love of reading in the child at a very early age. Uh, and yeah, they're a charity that I'm very happy to support because I, I fully uh, support that notion. Uh, yeah, I agree with what you just said. It's it's so important. Yeah. We'll also provide a link to the charity as part of the video and audio if you would like as well. Sure, yeah, it's, just, it's booktrust.org.uk. All right, all right, we will do that. Um, so curious about, uh, I would guess that on the reading menu, you had comics. I'm going to yeah. guess that there were some thrillers that made their way in and maybe some mysteries too. I'm guessing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. um, so curious about what it's like for you to work across forms from uh, different genres in prose to writing for comics to writing for video games and nonfiction and everything that's sort of in between. It's... I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I have a I have a very interesting job which I love. Um, yeah, there was absolutely a great number of uh, mysteries and sort of you know thrillers for children, YA thrillers, that sort of thing, as well as comics. Most of the comics I read were also things like two thousand AD, so sci fi and fantasy, mm -hmm. or the Eagle, which had lots of sort of contemporary thriller type comic strips as well so i've always loved that sort of you know adventures and and that kind of thing has always been my favorite sort of fiction there was an american series actually that i read as a child called the three investigators mm -hmm. uh, which was billed as alfred hitchcock presents even mm -hmm. though i'm sure that mr hitchcock had absolutely nothing to do with the book the content of the books but just agreed to uh, you know license his name out to them but i loved them they were great they are i mean I've reread some of them recently. They are quite old fashioned, you know, because they take place in 1950s California. Um, but the mysteries are great. You know, they really they actually hold up and they are very sort of they're very fast reads. You know, they're thrillingly written. Um, mm -hmm. I, I definitely recommend those to even now to, you know, sort of young children. Um, as for writing in all these different media. Yeah, it's like I say, it's interesting. It's something that i just find i wouldn't say easy to do but to mm. me it feels natural um you know when i have an idea for a story it almost always comes in a form that matches to a medium mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if i have an idea for a book then as far as i'm concerned it's going to be a book if i have an idea for a comic or a graphic novel I'm going to do it in that medium and and so on. It's very rare for me to have an idea for something in a certain medium and then actually, you know, uh, create it in a different medium. That almost yeah. never happens. I won't say never, but almost never happens. Um, and so working in all these different media just, like I say, feels kind of natural because I have lots of different ideas. And when I have an idea, I think, oh, that would make a good audio play or screenplay or book or comic or whatever our video game even and so and that's what so that's how i write it uh it just like i say it just kind of feels natural to me now there's another element to that obviously which is professionally breaking into each of those <laughs> different right. fields that's more difficult and a whole different 
subject, a whole different discussion. But in terms of my inspiration and, you know, sort of my my own work sitting here at this desk, typing away every day on my keyboard, it really is just a question of what's the idea I have and what medium does it, you know, do I feel that it works best in? And mm-hmm. that's that's what how I decide to that's what I will write. That's how I decide what medium to work in. And obviously I get commissioned for things like video games as well. That's that's another area. Somebody I'm writing a game at the moment, which is a cyberpunk Metroidvania. And uh, you know, that's that's something I've been hired to do. So I don't have I can't suddenly decide, oh, that's gonna be a book instead. Right. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> that's gonna be a game. Um, but still, you know, I try to pick projects to work on that give me a degree of freedom and sort of a latitude uh in how i approach them it's just it keeps me interested i like doing lots of different things i like doing new things things that are new to me and things that haven't been done before i've worked on a number of video games in like using new technologies mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and sort of that have innovation built into the design i find that very interesting um yeah i just like to i like to stay interested yeah i love that love that and i love that as a reader when I can read across genres and across forms. And I imagine that uh, innovations in video games, I'm sure there's challenge there, but I'm sure there's also (laughs) a sense of new possibility as well. There's a great deal of challenge. I mean, games more than any other storytelling medium is completely reliant on technology Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, innovations in technology and developments in technology. It is impossible to work in games and not be involved and aware of the technological limitations and possibilities uh, in, you know, within the medium that you're working. And so, yes, say, you know, I wrote one of the launch games for the Wii U, for example, uh, I've written launch. I wrote a launch game for one of the VR headsets. I think it was the, the Vive. Um, I have, I, I worked on Shadow of Mordor, Lord of the Rings game, which had a very innovative um, NPC system called the Nemesis system where, uh, enemies that you'd fought before would remember you mm-hmm. uh, and it was all generative and sort of you know i wrote thousands and thousands of fragments of lines that the ai within the game knitted together to match how you'd encountered this enemy before that sort of thing um so yeah innovations like that is i love them i love doing them i love being able to say hey i've done a thing that nobody's done before you mm-hmm. know this is new that really excites me um but there are also technical limitations, as I say, to games as well. And that's that's the less glamorous and a bit more frustrating side of, of things, the more realistic side of things. But yeah, it is very exciting. And, you know, comics as well. I like doing formalist experiments in comics, you know, sort of setting out the rules for a story before I write it and then following those rules, forcing myself to follow those rules. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always interesting. I do a lot of adaptations, which are kind of similar they're not formalist per se, but obviously you're taking a story that's told in one medium and turning it into a graphic novel or a comic series. Mm-hmm. And that requires a lot of sort of lateral thinking and figuring out how to make a story work in a different medium to that which it was originally created. Again, it's just all these things kind of keep me interested. I'm fascinated in how stories are told, how they're made, and all these projects allow me to kind of dig into that. Mm -hmm. you've also had work that's been adapted so i'm curious about yeah the the atomic uh 
I almost I almost want to say atomic bomb, but it's atomic blonde. Um, coldest city, coldest winter. Um, so curious about the sort of collaborative nature of comics for you, but also thinking about Exforia code, thinking about those kind of espionage centered stories. Um, I, I'm I'm always curious about what the research is like on those because I read them and I think there's there's so many pieces here of like government intelligences, technologies, uh, global and international interactions. Um, so just curious about that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, with regards to things like Atomic Blonde, the advantage of me having done a lot of adaptations myself, actually, that was really good because it made me very relaxed about that whole process. Mm -hmm. um you know i wasn't i was a co-producer so i i read the screenplay and i was giving notes and I, I went to the set and that sort of thing um but i didn't write the screenplay and i was very happy to sort of stand back a little and let uh kurt the screenwriter and dave the director and charlize as producer let them mold their version of the story you know mm -hmm. my only criteria and i said this to them my only criteria was i wanted them to make a good movie that's right. all I cared about. Now, as it happened, the movie they made was quite faithful to the book, more faithful than many film adaptations are, but it was also good. And that's more important to me. That's, you know, that's much more important than sort of slavish uh, faithfulness to the original story. And I take that same attitude myself when I adapt. So, yeah, it allowed me to be very relaxed about the whole process. And it was very enjoyable as a result. Um, in terms of research, the amount of research I do varies a lot depending on the project. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. very different from project to project. You know, there are some projects uh, where I do almost no research whatsoever because it's just not required. Um, then there are things like, as you say, the Exforia Code, the Bridget Sharp thrillers, uh, which are also being uh, adapted for TV, by the way, yeah. at the moment. Uh, they're in development, um, which require quite a bit of research. But not always in the areas where people think, yeah. uh, which is to say, I, so I've grown up reading, as I said, thrillers, adventure fiction, and that includes spy thrillers, watching spy movies. I love Cold War spy fiction. That's why I wrote Atomic Blonde, The Coldest City in the first place. Um, so I kind of know that milieu and I know a lot about the real world and how it works, but I also know that, the real world of espionage is actually really dull. Mm. Like mm -hmm. it's really quite boring. <laughs> it's a lot of sitting at desks and pouring through transcripts and analysis and stuff. It's really the vast majority of it is not interesting at all. So I also know how to take that. I've learned over the years from seeing other examples, other people do it, how to take that and turn it into something interesting fictionally. And the reason I mentioned that is because, um, the Bridget Sharp books are all about cyber espionage. Uh -huh. She's a hacker working for MI6. She's protecting the United Kingdom against threats from abroad, you know, from sort of hostile foreign nations. And a lot of the technology in it is real. Uh, it might I might be sort of using it in a new innovative way, but the actual technology is completely real. I do do a lot of research on that to make sure that it's all very either real or very, very plausible, you know, just sort of 20 minutes into the future, as mm -hmm. we say. Um, what isn't real is my version of MI6, yeah. uh, <laughs> which is completely fictional. 
has bears, bears almost no resemblance to the real MI6. And that's very deliberate because, mm-hmm. again, the real the reality of MI6 is that it's really boring. <laughs> I didn't want those aspects of the books to be boring. And so I completely fictionalized how MI6 works, uh, you know, some of the language and codes that they use, how MI5 works as well, because they get involved in some of the stories. Um, yeah, all of that is completely fictionalized, which is hilarious because I've had people say to me, uh, like, oh, this is all so realistic. You must know so much about the inner workings of, you know, <laughs> the British spy world. And I'm like, actually, no. I mean, I do know a bit, but I don't put any of it in the books. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's completely made up for the sake of drama and exciting fiction. Because, uh, yeah, I don't obviously don't want to write dull books. So, yeah, the, <laughs> the research that I do for those books is all on the technology side, not on the spying side. <laughs> interesting very interesting yeah um so that that brings us to <clears throat> the more recent publications and the work that you're currently currently doing um so curious about the creative directions to come and also maybe a few words about the dog sitter detective which is right over your shoulder there which is right uh, there yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah these other books are the brigitte books two of the brigitte books there by the way mm-hmm. um yeah so uh i have so my work in comics and graphic novels these days is quite sporadic. Uh, but what I do have coming out, I think next year, is a new Alex Ryder graphic novel. Now, Alex Ryder is the sort of the teen spy series written by Anthony Horowitz, mm-hmm. uh, who has also written James Bond books, incidentally. Um, I mean, Alex Ryder is a sort of teenage James Bond, if you like. And I write the graphic novel versions of those i adapt those to graphic novels there are six out so far the first six following the first six books in the series and i wrote the seventh book last year it's now been drawn i've just this week copy edited uh the sort of the final artwork and uh, lettering on that book and i believe that it will be released next year so that's something coming up that i'm very excited about because that will actually be the biggest comics project that I've done that I've released for several years. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have, yes, the dog sitter detective came out a few months ago in May of this year. Uh, The second book in that series will be out in January. Now that's a, that's cozy crime. So for people who don't know that, that is a a cozy crime murder mystery series about a semi-retired actress who takes up dog sitting to make ends meet stumbles across murders and solves them with the help of the dogs of course um uh it's all if you've seen things like midsummer murders father mm-hmm. brown or even mm-hmm. murder she wrote actually to go back you know many years it's that kind of tone um the second book as i say in that series will be out in january i've just again this week done the copy edits for that book and i've started writing the third book in that series uh a couple of weeks ago so that's all that's occupying a lot of my time at the moment because writing novels is the thing that takes longer than anything else i do obviously you know it's uh everything else is you know writing things like comics and screenplays is a bit like sprinting writing (laughs) novels is like running a marathon Uh, it takes much much longer um but i'm very excited about that obviously uh what else do i have coming up oh and yes so i have on the video games front there is um the game is silent well say game so there's the project called silent hill ascension 
Yes, yeah. Which uh-huh. is supposed to come out in a couple of months, supposed to launch in a month or two, I believe, uh, which is an interactive web series set in the world of Silent Hill, which is a series of horror video games that's gone quiet in recent years, but uh, they're ramping back up with a mm-hmm. whole bunch of new projects, and that's one of them. I was a narrative consultant on that project, working with Bad Robot, their games division. Um, and like I say, that should be out soon, and that will be free to play for everyone. It's It'll be on the web. Oh, interactive great. web series yeah so you won't need to you know you don't need to buy it you don't need to have a particular console to play it i believe it, you might be able to watch it and play it on consoles but you don't need you, you can just do it on the web so that's very exciting and then the game that i'm working on at the moment the cyberpunk metroidvania i mentioned that's called altered alma and that will be out uh in just under a year's time i think sort of next summer um and that's very interesting because that is uh, an action adventure game where you like leap around killing people or go through the map of a city. But also uh, you are recruiting a crew for your spaceship and you can romance them. You can develop relationships with all of with any of these crew if you want to. Um, and you know, we've weaved quite a we've built quite a big world and weaved quite a sort of integrated story throughout it. So, yeah, lots of fast paced action and you know defeating enemies but then also quite a bit of story in there and like these very interesting richly detailed characters that you can interact with and uh yeah romance seduce if you wish to um <laughs> so that's again you know something a bit new that's not really been for so uh you know combining those two genres of games so yeah that's that's all really interesting um and there are a couple of other things even more even beyond that there are other things that i'm sort of talking about that you know aren't public yet Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i like to, i like to keep busy i'm uh yeah i'm a very busy man <laughs> it sounds like the the innovation the storytelling continues and with a did you call it cozy crime is that what you said dog sitter that, that's the yeah, yeah that's the generally accepted term for books in this sort of uh and tv shows as i say in this sort of milieu um yeah. because it is crime obviously but it's sort of um so it, it's called cozy crime because there's there isn't any excessive gore there's no sort of brutality or excessive violence. And generally, uh, there's no excessive uh, language or explicit sex or anything like that. You know, they are kind of family family friendly stories, if you like. And they focus yeah. on the, the puzzle of the crime, you know, a detective uh, having a fiendish puzzle of a crime to solve. And that's the emphasis and the focus. And in these particular ones, also dogs, because I love dogs. Yes. Same, same. I'm a schnauzer person. Um, uh, uh, I, I had uh, lurchers, and the the first book features a pair of salukis. Second book is uh, border collie. <laughs> oh, love it, love it. Um, I'm glad to hear that it's an ongoing series. And you know, those cozy crime series, if you uh, connect to it and really find those patterns, I've seen series that are like 20 books. Oh yeah, yeah, and and more. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> As a person Absolutely, that likes yeah. to stay busy, that's a wonderful uh, venue to tap into. Um, From your lips to my publisher's ears. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And very well written as well as anything is that you you put your pen to. So. Oh, that's um, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, happy to talk about your work and recommend it anytime. Excited to hear that there's another Alex Ryder collaboration on the way as well, um, because that, that's been a mainstay in my classroom for some time as well. Oh, excellent. That's great to hear. 
Um, I think the last thing, unless there's anything that we've missed, are just spaces where people can connect and follow along. If there are um, websites, particular places that you update, newsletters, things of that nature. Sure. So um, for the the dog sitter books, you can find those at dogsitterdetective.com. Uh, that will give you more information about them, uh, links to places that you can buy them. Also things like um, book group materials for the first book. You know, there's a, we, I made a PDF with sort of discussion points and what have you for uh, book groups. If you, you know, if, if you have a book group or a library group, you can download the PDF, use that to kick off a discussion. So, and that's got also got a link to the publisher. Um, so yeah, dogsitterdetective.com for that. My own website is anthonyjohnston.com. It's just my name. Uh, and that's the same for my social media as well. So I'm on, because of the great Twitter diaspora, <laughs> uh, I am on just about every social media site going. But because my name has this strange, unusual spelling, uh, <laughs> I can get my name on pretty much any social media site. So wherever you are, wherever you go, just search my name, Anthony Johnston. Make sure you spell it right. No H in Anthony. There is a T in Johnston. Uh, and you'll find me. So that's, you know, Twitter or X as, as it is now, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Threads, Pebble, Facebook, Instagram. I'm just, that's my name on all of them. So, and I post to all of them as well. So uh, yeah, if you're on any of those, look for me, find me there, follow me. And uh, you'll always be the first to hear about sort of new stuff that I'm doing. And there's always links there to my website where you can sign up my newsletter as well. I send out like everybody does these days, I send out an email newsletter. Unlike everybody else these days, I send about one newsletter every three months. <laughs> it's a very, very low traffic newsletter. <laughs> that's, that's, I think that's good traffic. I think that's good traffic. I, I know that's the balance is real between writing novels, doing all the things, and also sending out it's newsletters. It's difficult, yeah. 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 Anthony, thank you so much for uh, <laughs> jumping on, talking with me, and glad to talk with you anytime. Oh, you're very welcome, Jason. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you.